I don't know what they promised you. Knowledge, love, I sought pleasure. But all they have to give is pain. It's a trick. All of it. And what some filmmakers do when inspired by Lovecraft can bring either tricks or treats. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 2022's Hellraiser, written by Ben Collins and Luke Petrowski, directed by David Bruckner, and of course based on the book and film, both created by Clive Barker. Um, Supposed to have been joining us for this episode was friend of the show, and I guess now also Cast of Cthulhu host, uh, Jerry Smith. Um, Thank you, Jerry, if you were listening to this, for hopping in at the last minute to cover the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival podcast. Um, We tried and tried and tried to make this work, reschedule a whole bunch of times, but, you know, as John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. (laughs) So unfortunately for all of you, it's just James and I. I know that you're sick of us, but, um, you know, tough shit. I mean, we, we, we told them don't open open that puzzle box <laughs> yeah. and i mean i mean it's kind of weird it's like a puzzle box appeared on his doorstep and i don't know yeah it, you know it, it was in just you know it was just the lament configuration or no i guess the first one is the life configuration right right yeah. I, 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 you know we'll get into that I, I like the little changes but yet stuff that felt the same i mean okay so before we get into it like so yeah. is is this what we, uh, what what they're calling a legacy sequel, or is it a remake? I, I, I like what would you say this is because I'm I'm think I I would put it more as a a legacy sequel because to me okay. it's like that same world but yet it's just enough different that you know if someone's watching it for the first time they'll like, and never seen the original Hellraiser they don't need to see the original Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, there's a, like enough of a like a, a wink and a nod to the original movies that you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like it's in that same world. Like I could believe that the shit that happened to Kirsty and all of them did happen. And this is just another box, another mm-hmm. something, or it's the same lament configuration or whatever we want to call it, you know, right. Le Marchand, you know, puzzle box. Yes, his <laughs> little puzzle box. Well, I, I was thinking about this while watching it because I, mm-hmm. it was like one thing – I was initially trying to decide, is it a remake or a reboot? And I definitely right. ruled out it's not a reboot uh, no. because no. you don't have the same characters. I mean, sure, you have a pinhead, but it's not the same con- It's not the same character. She, she's actually um, a literal pinhead, too. She, yes, she is. Which I was um, impressed. Yeah. That's the one thing Corinne noticed. She's like, oh, those are actual pins. I'm like, yeah, actual I know. Pins. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have a chatterer, certainly. A chatterer yes. centibite. Mm-hmm. Um, but a reboot, I think, would have... Um, been in the same world or having the same characters with just kind of a different take on them this is not that no um or or maybe that would be no maybe that would be a remake because a reboot would kind of be starting everything all over again so no let me let me reverse everything i just said it is not right. a remake in any way stretch or in, in any way shape or form um so could it be a reboot or could it be a legacy sequel i guess the difference being a legacy sequel is like, as you say, could have taken place in the same universe and right. is connected, but is not is not a continuation of the original story. Whereas a reboot's like, let's start fresh, new, and just launch a whole new universe. Um, I would like to think it's a... I would probably consider it a legacy sequel. Because, um, yeah, as you said, like we can imagine that whatever happened to Kirsty and all them... It, it, let's, let's go with and just say... 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make an executive decision <laughs> improvisationally here. Yes. I'm gonna say it's sort of like David Gordon Green's Halloween. This exists in the same universe as the first Hellraiser mm-hmm. and no other Hellraisers, basically. Yeah, um, like maybe maybe even the second Hellraiser because it'll yeah. Leviathan. But other than that, yeah, it's this. There's no no references to like a uh, debtor or uh, <laughs> yeah or judgment, um, you know. But yeah, no no CD Cenobite in this oh, one. Yeah, no 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 no, no uh, Barbie, you know the the drinks, you know flamethrower out of his mouth. <laughs> right, yeah, oh, um, but yeah, no, the, you do mention yeah they do mention Leviathan in this one, and Leviathan is brought up in the second one, and I believe if I recall correctly, the design of them is pretty similar. Like it's this giant sort of like yeah. Um, obelisk sort of thing contraption being whatever it is you want to call it um but yeah maybe maybe existing in the same universe as those first two especially because if we acknowledge the first one the second one brings kirsty back um right but then everything else is sort of is sort of discarded i'm fine with that okay. idea um especially i even like the idea of maybe you know because the one of the big deals before this movie even came out was like oh we've got we've got a gender swapped pinhead here and how how controversial that is which forget the fact that doug bradley was like no this is phenomenal like well done good clive barker's like this is what i wrote it's like yeah eight you know no gender really like and you have a transgender Mm -hmm. actor actress doing it too so like to me for for all the idiots out there and i'm gonna say that for the idiots that say they're hellraiser or clive barker fans and say and we're up in arms Mm -hmm. you know i saw a few people you know Nobody that we're friends with, you know, no, one, you, know you know, probably like twenty steps away from us. <laughs> um, you're a bunch of morons because you don't even understand what one what Hellraiser is about and what Clive Barker took his stories from, like the ideas. And mm-hmm. to me, it just makes it makes sense. And like again, like you said, even Doug Bradley's like, this is fantastic because <laughs> because you know and that's a thing. Yes, as nostalgia goes of course you, you know you want to see your the originals you know like like people still clamoring oh man uh please uh robert england come back and robert england's like i'm too fucking old okay i'll i'll, I'll do <laughs> i'll do an episode of the goldbergs but that's right, about right, it right. that's mm-hmm. about it i can't i can't do six week shoot where i have to get mm-hmm. a makeup chair at the age of like 70 now yeah please and and it's like yeah like you need to move on and then you find someone that actually can do the role and give it just enough of a difference, but yet the, it still has that gravitas. It still has that. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't see much of of this pinhead like the original one. You only see actually to me they do in a weird way. A, not a I can't say a better job, but the buildup of pinhead. And the other Cenobites, you see the glimpses, you see like just the face or a close up, and then that's it until the climb, you know, towards the climax, and then it's like, holy shit, okay, this is this is serious now. But you know, Pinhead's not like doing just jokes or saying stupid lines, you know, like you know, let, let's just go full force with the Christianity bashing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, like, you know what I mean? Like where, like, even like Doug Bradley says, yeah, it's a little too uh, tongue in cheek there, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I, I didn't have this thought while watching the movie, but I had it now of just this idea Mm -hmm. of why are we assuming Pinhead has kind of a inflexible, unchangeable 
corporeal form like why couldn't Good pinhead point. sort of be like you know if you if you look at you know mythology of angels or demons or whatever like they they can kind of appear however they want to or right. whoever they're speaking to so why couldn't pinhead appear as a certain form depending on or a specific form depending on who pinhead is appearing to so perhaps right Christy and for those people yeah it made sense that pinhead and fear uh, appeared in the form of something that looked like doug bradley but in this one right something else you know i, I just i it, why why do we have to have the same thing all the time we don't have to no and 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 hell even in the mythos of hellraiser let's go you know I want to get really deep into it, but I won't go too deep. Um, that's a Clive Barker joke right there <laughs> from from his, uh, yeah, he, but like, you know, he's even like written and, you know, has helped with the Hellraiser comics, especially like the mm-hmm. the newer ones from, you know, I think it's a Boom Studios or I think it's Boom, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, you know, but even there in two different comic series, like there's two separate ones. One, Pinhead is de- like defeated or whatever you want to say, and Harry Demore mm-hmm. becomes Pinhead. Oh yeah, there sure, yeah. In hell, okay. So that's a separate story. Then another separate story: Kirsty becomes the new, basically, Lord of Hell, Pinhead mm-hmm. in her okay. own way. So, so that was the first time I saw a female, you know, whatever you want to say, a female Pinhead, mm-hmm. and. To me, it just looked the same. Like, you know, it's just like, okay, it's just another form. And, you know, if you look at the original Hellraiser, and then it changes, of course. These Cenobites were human at one point. Yeah. They wanted the, the what do you could say, like that, you know, the, the pain and pleasure that only, you know, some, some sort of like, you know, sadomasochist could ever achieve. And even beyond that. So, of course... We don't know the story, like, behind this pithead. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Like, or maybe that's just, like, you know, in the cenobitical order, that's just, if you want to be one of the top people, oh, you're you're a pinhead. You know, you could jokingly say that, but who the hell knows and who the hell cares? Like, it's just, this is another Cenobite. Yeah. She never, she never says, hey, by the way, my name's Pinhead. You know what I mean? She's just credited as the priest, actually, in right. the film, so... Right, to me, actually, it's closer than the original, just lead Cenobite. Right, yeah, Like, yeah, Doug yeah. Bradley is lead Cenobite. And it's like, and hell, even Clive Barker has jokingly, in his The Scarlet Gospels, the last pinhead story with Harry Damore, it's a separate story, mm-hmm. where in order to get under pinhead's skin, everyone, especially Harry Damore, goes, hey, pinhead, to the point where, like, he, he hates the name. <laughs> that's what he's like that's what he's known as mm-hmm. is pinhead and he's like that's not my basically he's saying that's not my name yeah my name's not so it's almost a joke like he kind of liked it in the beginning because like oh it's kind of like ominous but then when you have harry demore just going okay you piece of shit pinhead how dare you you know <laughs> so to the point where he just like pinhead is so livid that he wants to destroy that whole mention of that name so we as people just call him Pin, you know, her, him, whoever, whichever's playing, it's Pinhead, but never wants to be called that. Right. It's almost like like a knock on. Like it's almost like joke. Like it's almost a joke when you think about it, because you think of the name Pinhead. It's not really a like intimidating name. No, either. no, not really. No. Right? Oh, hi, hey. It sounds more more like an insult. Hey, Pinhead, how's it going? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and like freaks, freaks, the pinheads. That's what I think of when yeah, I hear pinheads. It was a pejorative term. You're right, um, right. Yeah, so, it's kind of funny. Once again, even uh, assuming once again that this film, or in our opinion, uh, what this film is doing is discarding all the later sequels to Hellraiser and just kind of embracing the first two films. Yeah. Who's to say that instead of the Cenobite creations being brought on by, you know, whatever your vice was, this is how your attire or your torture becomes grafted onto you. What if instead it's sort of like a a ranking thing or an armor mm. or a title? You know, I mean, in right even in the Bible, you have sort of a hierarchy of angels, you know, your cherubim, your seraphim, your archangels, this kind of a thing. Mm. What if the priest that, you know, there's many of them that sort of look like that. And then below them, there are these, you know, the chatterers and this kind of thing. Like it, it's, it's sort right. of like almost kind of like an armor or like a uniform in a little way. Like, you know, 007 is just kind of a code name for a, a certain secret agent kind of a thing. Right. I mean, I've always kind of said like the coolest idea was, you know, for James Bond is there's been multiple James Bonds. Yes. Like, yeah. like it, you know, all the ones we've seen on in the movies, yeah, they, they've all existed. It's not like the same person. It's mm-hmm. just you, you. That's like a really high ranking secret agent, mm-hmm. and you have to go by that. Like, you know, it's like in the comics. There's there's a lot of Batman. There's it's not just Bruce Wayne. Like Dick Grayson's been Batman. Yeah, yeah Batman you know? Incorporated. Right. Oh well, yeah. Like you go mm-hmm. into the Grant Morrison shit. It's like okay, now now there's like hundreds of Batman. <laughs> not even around the world but in the multiverse and then you're like okay now my head hurts but <laughs> but but and that's the thing like you said i think that's the best way to say it it's it's a title it's it's a ranking of the cenobitical order and the priest is like yeah like to be the tops like that's the leader like when they come up when someone opens the box and plays with you know plays with the box and it's whatever configuration they come and you know pin you know the priest leads whatever this is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, so that is just one of the many differences uh, or changes that this movie makes. Um, Let's get into the the plot a little bit. Um, You know, it certainly uh, revolves around um, Riley, who is kind of a a recovering, Mm -hmm. maybe you could put recovering in air quotes, but addict who, you know, has been into plenty of shit um, and kind of gets involved um, with this guy, Trevor, who uh, that's where they, they find the puzzle box because they're basically going to uh, break in somewhere, steal something and sell it for money. What they end up breaking into is a, um, is a storage container that has a safe and inside of that safe is uh, the lament configuration, the puzzle box, whatever right. you want to call it. Um, and then they unwittingly, of course, open it or she unwittingly, of course, opens it. It costs the life of her brother, Matt, which I'll be honest yeah. as a surprise, yeah. I did not expect him to like, he's, no. the, he's the first one killed in this. And, right, and he's and 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 it's almost like something that is repeatedly said that he would know, like not necessarily this situation, but he would know how to kind of battle whatever, like because it's all, even his boyfriend Colin's like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, Mac would know what to do in it's, this situation. Yeah, it it really it it sets up the stakes emotionally so well early because yeah, you do kind mm-hmm. of see him as the conscience, as kind of the balance to Riley and now all of a sudden he's gone and she kind of has to navigate not just this conflict, but her own inner demons sort of on her own. Um, And also sets up um, a a really kind of powerful ending, which we'll uh, eventually get to. Um, Definitely. But uh, you know, 
if you've listened to our, our original Hellraiser episode, my biggest complaint with the original Hellraiser, aside from a, a strange dragon skeleton showing up at the end randomly, <laughs> was the idea that like the puzzle box, one, wasn't really much of a puzzle, and two, it didn't really have any logic to what it did or why it did it. This movie right. addresses that wonderfully well in the sense of, yes, it is not just a puzzle, but the idea of the configuration, there are many configurations which are mm-hmm. tied into blood sacrifices that have to be made to basically like once that first sacrifice is made, once Matt accidentally becomes that first sacrifice, it triggers mm-hmm. a transformation of this box and uh, puts her on an irreversible journey where she has to continue giving this thing blood to reach a certain point, which will she hopes or we hope or the Cenobites hope will cause her to make a choice which she is not aware of, but will ultimately just lead to suffering one way or another. It is, it's kind of this, it's this idea that once you start on the journey, you can't go backwards. You have to keep moving forwards and it adds a, a really cool momentum to this movie. No, it does. And like, even the priest, like when she's like, I'm not going to continue. Then the priest is like, okay. Get, and then she gets, you know, Riley gets cut and it's like, well, now you either you're going to be the sacrifice or you're going to pick somebody. Yeah. It, it's your choice. And it's like, I like that too, because, you know, one of the things I kind of liked about, especially the second Hellraiser film was that when someone was forcing someone to open a box for their own game, Pinhead and company come and go, she didn't open, you know, like the little girl, the girl, the mute girl from the second one, that's like a puzzle, like, you know, mm-hmm. wonder, wonderkin. Like, well, it wasn't her desire to open this box. Yeah. Let's go after, you know, she's a, she's an innocent. This, in this, you know, you know, world, it feels more like everyone is a, is, it could be a victim. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. And I kind of like that. Like, the, you know, these are demons, you know, like, like what the hell do they care? As long right. as they get a blood sacrifice and you continue and like, either you're going to, you know, choose any of these things that, you know, the, you know, the ultimate prize, we see what happens with the ultimate prize. Yeah. And like, and, and from, from, from what it says, the kind of like the worst prize, and we'll get to it later, is life. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is, that's we'll a get really, to that later, but that's, yeah. that's really, that's a really, you know, strong thing right there. It's, it's almost like a twist. Mm. And it's, it is really cool um, because, yeah, so Riley's playing with the puzzle box. Little Blade comes out, stabs Matt. He gets the blood sacrifice. That triggers the the configuration to change into the next one. And I've, and I've got a little wiki up here. The, the configuration's all seven, six of them. We have Lament or Life, Lore or Knowledge, Lauderant or Love, Liminal or sensation, Lazarus or resurrection, and Leviathan or power. Basically, this idea of yeah. you get through all of them and you get to summon Leviathan and and ask for any of those six alliterative um, gifts, so called. But uh, as our evil protagonist uh, or antagonist discovered, actually, it, it comes with um, a little twist in a way that only the Cenobites can really provide. Um, so it's interesting because, like I said, provides this forward momentum in the sense of somebody has to continuously die in order for these this con- these configurations to commence 
in order to basically complete this journey. Um, right. And that's really interesting because, you know, we, we know as Riley eventually discovers too, like, oh, it's, it's, um, it's the people around her who are going to have to be the sacrifices to be made. Um, and that right. really is really kind of gut wrenching. No, it is. And, and that's kind of like what's, you know, from what we gather from Roland Voigt, the, uh, I guess you could call him the bad guy of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Um, who was, I, I was the whole time. I'm like, is that like, I couldn't, I'm like, remember I'm like, and I remember I'm like, Oh, that's that Goran Vicinich, right? Like from ER later mm-hmm. on ER seasons. And I remember I'm like, Oh wow. He's aged pretty well. Like, you know, now he looks like an evil Eastern European scumbag, you know, like, you know, like a r- really rich guy that just has too much time on his hands and, mm-hmm. you know, wanted sensation. Yep. Wanted the best sensation ever. And like you said, there's always a twist. It's kind of like, to me, it's almost like, you know, the Wishmaster. And, like, no matter what you do with the djinn, he's always going to, like, twist it in some way. Like, oh, uh, can you? And then he'll, like, oh, yeah, I'll give, it, I'll give it to you exactly the way you said it. It's like, no, I, I just wanted a bag of money, man. Like, why am I the <laughs> bag of money now? You know, like, yeah, I didn't ask for that. But, but I kind of like that. It's almost like a joke. Like, so no matter what the prize, it's like you're kind of screwed. But... But yet, we know for a fact that many have opened this configuration before. So it's like, no matter what, you would think someone somewhere would have like kind of... But that's the thing. Ultimately, you're screwed. So like, yeah. who's going to write a book? Like, oh, by the way, you know, it, you know, I, I picked this and I got screwed. No, we see Roland Voigt like, you know, as a freaking clockwork thing inside of him. Yeah, which and is like just, his his nerves are wrapped around, oh. and so it's yeah. Ugh. So he never gets numb. It's almost it's like almost to the point, and then like it 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 just restarts, and mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this is something that Clive Barker would have wrote. Like like again, and that's kind of like what to me that's the highest praise. Where there's a lot of stuff in this that you would think, oh, this must have come from one of his stories. Mm-hmm. No, it's like it's like oh, no, and I think that's why Barker was so impressed. Like oh. Thank you. Like this is what I wanted, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and that and that's great. And like you said, continuously, no matter what, Riley's kind of screwed because she wants to know, and you know, she wants to bring her brother back. But sadly, people are going to die along the way. And then, and then we see that you can kind of use it to your favor against one of the Cenobites. And I kind of like that too. Like, it doesn't matter as long as it's a blood sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the priest at that point goes. Clever girl, clever. Yeah, you, got, yeah. you got me there. Yeah, okay. there's, there's a. If I recall correctly, there's almost kind of a little smirk on the priest's face where it's like, ah, uh, okay. She discovered like, that she could. Yeah, it, didn't, it doesn't matter where the blood comes from. Yeah, and I kind and I, I like that too. It's a little twist where you go, oh, so now you like you, you kind of hope, oh, maybe, maybe she'll be able to get it to another centipede, like one of the other centipede, order. But then we see, you know, what happens at the end, which is a little more. A little more of a good, like, you know, cheering moment for, for Riley there, you know. But yeah. Um, I had never seen this actress that plays Riley before, but the whole time I'm thinking she looks like she, she really looked like um, um, Alia Shawkat. Yeah, I was thinking the same right? thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like a younger sister of her. Cause even Corinne goes, that's not, I'm like, no, it's not her. Yeah. But no. I was, but, but she looks very, and she almost sounds like her too, which is really, and she has a great name, like Odessa Zion, 
Is it? Yeah, Odessa. So. I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but it's A apostrophe Z I O N. Yeah, um, a Zion, a Zion. Yeah. yeah, it's very. You know, and you know, I thought she does like. You know, my worry was when people were initially kind of talking about this movie, they were like, "Oh, not not a likable lead or something." You know, the, I, I read that. And I'm like, "Oh man, hopefully it's not like." So I'm like, "What were they talking about?" Like. Oh, why? Because she's like a recovering, like you said, or like, is she really recovering or she's trying? She's really trying. I've known people like that, Mm -hmm. like growing up, like I've known a lot of people like that. And I've lost, I've I've lost a few people that were recovering addicts and ultimately it it bites them in the ass and they don't make it through. And the whole time I'm just like, you're, you're hoping for the best for this girl. You know, you're like, yeah, she's screwed up, but she's still young. And you know what? It, that's what happens. Addiction does messed up things to people. And we could see her brother really loves her, but was doing the tough love to her when like kicking her out of the apartment, you know? Well, and, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I, again, I, I think some people don't, they look at someone like, a, you know, a former drug addict, and they're, oh, unlikable. Or like you look at, yeah. To me, like the best movie with unlikable people in the beginning, and by the end, you cheered them on is Attack the Block. Where, oh, yeah. oh man, these kids are assholes. Like, oh, I, well, I don't like these kids. Yeah, and, and it, like f- from the the tone of movies, like, does our protagonists yeah. have to be likable? Not necessarily, no. but they have to be relatable and understandable. And yes. she does make some bad choices, but also as an addict, she of course has made some bad choices. Um, and that includes deciding to play with the puzzle box and what that ultimately unleashes. And it's not a matter of like, does she make, you know, is she the, the, the most cleanest or most likable person in the world, but what does she do with those choices and how does she respond to them? And you see her really start taking charge. And also she's the only one that begins to comprehend what is going on with the puzzle box. You also... Um, it, and it adds a weight to that those scenes when she's trying to explain to people what is going on and you can tell that they're just like, she's fucking crazy because she's on drugs. I'm like, well, no, right. it may sound crazy. Like, yes, I discovered this book and these weird creatures are coming and they require blood sacrifice. And I was like, it's just, What's... she's up to her shit again. Yeah. Um, I've never heard this before from you, Riley, but you, you really must be high this time. Mm-hmm. But she's yeah. the only one that has the experience and the knowledge to really understand what has to be done and how to accomplish it. And also, unfortunately, adds more to the weight of of she recognizes what her choices have um, unleashed, basically, where she realizes yes. like someone, you know, people are going to have to die because of what I've done. Um, and she right. takes responsibility for that. And that's admirable. Right, but it's also horrible because of what that entails. It is, it is the Lovecraftian journey. That idea of like the die mm-hmm. was cast as soon as we started on this journey. Like as soon as that puzzle box was fucked with, we knew yep. we knew how things were going to play, or or at least we knew things were not going to end happily. There was no escaping the fate of, you know, what was going to come. Well, yeah, in the moment like they they find this, you know, safe and like they open it up and Riley just looks at it. And just kind of starts to like, you know, slowly like put her finger around it. It's like that little, there's something about it, you know, up, oh, there's something tempting about this box. I don't know what it is, but I just want to hold on to it for the time being. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, 
but is that really her fault? Not really. I mean, and then, you know, here's the other thing I'll say about like how like admirable and it's something I, they don't say, but the moment, you know, after she, you know, Matt, you know, gets taken away at that point, she's high off of three of her pills. Mm-hmm. But then from that point on, we never see her do any drugs or alcohol. No, no. And they don't say it. They don't mm-hmm. explicitly say, oh, I'm not taking anything right now. Like, she doesn't necessarily say that, but we know this as, like, as the viewer. Like, no, she's been clean. And actually, that's what's even more frustrating for her, that she's completely sober and she's dealing with this. for the, And she's dealing with stuff for the first time since she, you know, who knows how long she's been, like, a recovering addict. And that's, you know, that's a tough world to live in where you know you're telling the truth, but the people around you just, oh, it's just the same cycle again. It's like, no, it's a different cycle I'm in right now. It's not the drug cycle. This is something worse Mm -hmm. than that. Yeah, just that that idea too of um, in America, we have, you know, the criminal justice system. And of course we like to call it the, you know, uh, Department of Corrections, even though everyone's like, there is no correction. If you've committed a crime and you've gone to jail, you are irredeemably tainted. Like you will never be believed again. You will never be... You'll never get hired. Again. Yeah, you'll you will yeah. just be you will have that that cloud hanging over your entire life. So she is straight. She is clean. She has not been doing anything, but no one believes her because of her past. Um, yeah. When she is exactly the one who should be believed, she is exactly the one who knows what's up. Um, right. I will say, um, you know, because she discovered Roland Voigt's notebook. Mm-hmm. Th- that that part was a little silly to me not in the sense of the of the notebook i mean he certainly seems like the type but it, it was it was the kind of it was a kind of point where in the movie it's like oh we're just going to break into this billionaire's home sort of like okay this is this doesn't seem this doesn't seem like something that you people would do it's just kind of like a a, a a narrative device that we had to eventually get to the house we had to eventually discover you know, um, the machinations of the, of the Cenobites of Roland Voigt, but to, to get us there, like, well, the only other choice we have is like, we need to find somehow we need to magically find this mansion and break into it. Felt like, like, mm, this is, this is stretching believability a little bit to me. Not enough to take me out, but it's kind of like, eh, this is a little a, a bit, little, a little bit, but, and, and what's, what's great about it though, is it's really Riley that just goes, I'm going, fuck you, you know, to, to Trevor or whatever. Like I need to go. And then mm. she goes like she doesn't wait for anybody to help her like it's her mission. And then, you know, as no matter what's been going on, Colin, you could tell cares about her as well. Mm. Like really, you know, has seen probably seen some and same thing. Even though Nora feels like a very like one dimensional character for the most part, no, but. but but you know she's she's seen seen it throughout the years too. So it would make sense. And then the whole thing with Trevor. The little twist. Yep. He was kind of guiding it in a weird way, his own way. Not mm. necessarily we need to go there. He is almost playing the, you know, well, you you're already dealing with the box and it's working. And that's good. That's what Roland wants. But and as, as you know, spoiler alert, Trevor's a piece of shit and yep. actually is working for Roland. And you know, when that happened, even even Corinne looks because you know, she's like, I was really hoping that this guy wasn't an asshole. I'm like, yeah, sadly, you know, money, money trumps a lot of things. And mm-hmm. sadly, in this case, it doesn't matter. And even though like, you know, what I, what I love about 
he's still a like a slimy guy because even Roland goes, "You were supposed to open a box." <laughs> yeah, you piece of shit. Like, mm-hmm. like you cow, you coward. Like, you have this like drug addicted girl doing it for you. How dare you know? He's almost so pissed at him more so. Like, like, and I, I kind of love that because, like, you know, if you had, but and he's like, "Well, it's still going the right way. It's, it's still working your way." And then I love when he just like puts his finger in his wound and just like, "Yeah, you better make it work now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and that's from that point on, you're like, oh, please, just get some comeuppance, please. Don't don't be like the first Halloween movie where the boyfriend just gets away with being a piece of shit. <laughs> well, and, and well, that's I, all I'm gonna say, you know. But I like that reveal too because that's yeah. what I suspected, and then Trevor Same. kind of lulls us into like, oh no, no, he's not this guy. Because at the beginning, when right. he's you know when when they're trying to think of how they can get some money. He's mm-hmm. like, I know some people. And what I thought that meant was, right. hey, I know some people who have this box who will need us to do certain things. But what he just meant to her was, I know some people, we can steal their shit and sell it. Right. Um, so you really just like, so I, while I thought he was nefarious, it's like, oh no, he's just, he's just kind of dumb and short-sighted. And like, oh no, 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 no. He was nefarious the entire time. So it yeah. was kind of like, I was suspecting it. And then I let my guard down. And then I should have been suspecting him the entire time. And that, um, and that's a good and that's and that's a clever way to do a villain re- reveal. Like that's, it's not just oh this whole time you're like no he he's definitely they get you that lull. And again that's how that's how manipulative people do it. They mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know you can't be all you can't be this good. And then they lull you in, and then you go, you know what? I'm gonna let my guard down. Yeah. Like you seem like a great guy. Like you know you 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 care about me. No, I just want some money. Yeah, because it, it seems like he's the only one that can really kind of understand what she's going through as himself right. being a recovering addict. But really, right. he's just he's just taking advantage of her. Like, no, I don't want to say like everyone else is because no one else was taking advantage of her. But what? But he is no, actually no. worse because he was taking advantage of her. He's worse than Matt, who was trying to you know do the tough love. Right. Um, you know, he's he's worse than um, Nora. Is that the other roommate who who has the British accent? Who I just yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who is very clearly judging her the entire time. He is actually getting close to her because of her weakness and trying to exploit it. Yeah. Um, and also just, you know, then sets up, you know, I, everyone else probably anticipated this. I did not, but I just thought Roland was dead the whole time. So of course, when Roland reveals himself to still be alive, it's like, Oh shit, that's awesome. No, it was, it was, it, that again was a cool reveal. Cause again, watching this with Corinne, I, I always like to see her eyes with films like this. And when, when, you know, when you see this, this, figure in the walls when i was watching i'm like oh shit is, is that gonna be rolling like what's he gonna look like you know is mm. he a centibite now but then <laughs> i'm like why would he be in his house you know and you know your head starts and and Craig goes who the hell is that i'm like just watch and then she's like okay and then when it's revealed she's like she's like that motherfucker like wow he like and then i'm like yeah but look like he's so nefarious that he figured out a way to be hidden from the Cenobites for this six years mm-hmm. where they couldn't find him. Like, you know, cause we got to think when, when he got, you know, that like, he's like, Oh, I have to figure something out. And like, it took six years for his plan to go into effect. And you got to think six years of living like that oh, is like, is like a millennia of pain yeah. and, and sorrow. And, and it, I mean, of course he deserved it, but you know, it's one of those things you go, wow, like, 
you know, it's almost comical the way he suffers because it's just like he's talking normally and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, you're like the the gears start literally turning and it's like, oh, God, now my my nerves are are being wrapped around this device. I know. It's like, it's like, oh, shit. And it's just even when the priest, you know, comes and like he's like, I demand an audience again with Leviathan, your God, like you're all trapped here. This is a trap. It's not a, you know, fortress. Yeah. And. I kind of like that too because it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of like a weird little. I don't think it's a nod to the fourth one, you know, the, in outer space. But again, <laughs> that's that's how that film ends. It's it's a trap, you know. Yeah. It's a big it's a big box, and that's what he made his house into. Mm-hmm. Basically, a big lament configure you know configuration. Yeah, and yep. it's, and it's clever, but it's also like, wow, you really had a lot of money, dude. Had like, yeah, you had a shit ton. And, and it is funny that idea of of. You know, some of the best, you know, films have done this. We, we've talked about this, not just with the original Hellraiser, but also with From Beyond and this idea of mm. that initial scientist who became the weird friggin' creature at the end of it sort of got to a point in his life where it's like, I need something beyond just the physical pleasures of this world. Right. And Roland as a billionaire, too, there was nothing he probably couldn't buy, including sex, yep. people, whatever. And he yep. just wanted something more. He was insatiable. And that idea of, of, yeah. of experience, not just being a, not being a spectrum, but almost kind of like a circle where it's like, okay, well you want something more. Now we're going to, now we're going to veer into the pain territory. And really, yeah. if you think about it, and I was thinking about this as I was watching this movie, because I hate how a lot of horror films can just, you know, what makes them horror is like, we're going to throw a whole bunch of blood in there. We're going to throw a whole bunch of sex. It's not going to be motivated right. by anything, but if you really stop and think about it, what horror is about and when it comes to those visceral experiences, what are the most intense things, the most intense physical experiences people can experience are intense pain and also intense pleasure when it comes to, let's say, orgasms. Right. So this right. idea of they seem dichotomous, but they're really two sides of the same coin. This idea of extremes mm-hmm. of what we can experience. So it's like, okay, well, you've experienced extreme pleasure. Now the only thing we can give you is extreme pain. Um, which is which is pleasurable to them. Yes, which so. is which is yeah, one one yeah, um one man's trash is another man's treasure. Um yeah. It is very interesting. Um I do have to bring up one complaint and this is not about mm. this movie. This is about media in general. Yeah. Um and if anyone is has been watching House of the Dragon or was watching, you know, the late seasons of Game of Thrones, Hellraiser is a great movie, but it is a horror movie, much of which takes place at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were sequences in this film oh. which were so dark. Yes. As I was, as I should say, I was watching them during the day in my apartment, which we were trying to sell. So it's all painted white. So there is a bit more light than usual, and there's a lot more, or not as much that we can do about it. Right. Having said that, once they get in the van, like they're trying to escape from the mansion, so they get in the van. I barely could see anything in that entire sequence. Like, no, it's not okay. So it wasn't just me because no, I, no. I had to cha- I had to change the um, the specs to my TV in mm-hmm. order to see some of this stuff because I, I I don't know what it was. Like, was it the way it was shot or just the I, I don't I okay. So I haven't really seen that complaint though online, but but even like the whole time I'm like, who's who's that? Yeah, so this is this this initially I don't want to say started, but the the biggest instance of it was in the last season of Game of Thrones um, mm-hmm. when there's 
it's not the final episode, but there's the there's a huge battle at Winterfell with the the um, the White Walkers and all sorts of stuff, and it takes place at night. And uh, Miguel Sapochnik, who was the director, has a very cinematic mindset, and I understand that, especially with that show. Yeah. But it was so goddamn dark that it was difficult to make out anything that was going on. And when conf- not confronted, but in interviews, he was basically kind of saying like, "Well, yes, well, we we shot it to be viewed in the most ideal cinematic." viewing conditions which like the vast majority of citizens don't have that ideal condition even if they have a very good tv they might not know of the settings that it has to be adjusted to or they might not have you know the kind of setup that is that is required of it and that has continued now he is the showrunner or one of the showrunners for house of the dragon and there are many sequences where it's like i can't see a goddamn thing which is happening right now now i appreciate this idea of cinematic tendencies brought to tv but there is kind of this disconnect between the creators and the consumers and just like most of your consumers don't have the technological setup to view it under the ideal conditions that you imagined for it now hellraiser i would have loved that for this to have been released in in movie in a theater oh yeah um i mean so so this is a bit of an exception to this whole complaint because Mm -hmm. You can imagine, like, they're they're making a movie. So in, in an ideal world, they put this out in theaters and people go out and see it and it's one thing. But when it comes to TV, there has to be, I, I don't know if it's, you know, I can't imagine that it's David Bruckner's decision. Maybe it's the people at Hulu because then stuff has to get compressed and put on, right. for, you know, this digital streaming platform. So there are, there are limits to what the media itself can actually do. But this is not... I, I couldn't make out what was going on for like minutes at a time. And yes, yeah, it's because, yeah. and the brightness on my TV was turned all the way up. I tried to have all the curtains closed, but it's just, I don't have right. the kind of setup that would be required to view these under the imagined ideal conditions. And I have to say, probably the vast majority of, of people watching this also don't have that setup. Well, especially if it's just like a, <clears throat> you know, a regular mom or dad or whoever that has Hulu yeah. that goes, Oh, I remember Hellraiser. Let me watch it. They're not going to have that set up. I mean, I you know I, I think you and I, being film fans and stuff, like have pretty good setups, but we don't have twenty thousand dollars setups. Yeah, no, like like, and not many people can afford that. And yeah, the first the, my first viewing, while I I liked the movie a lot, there were scenes I like for you said minutes on end. I'm like, okay, what is going? And I'm thinking it's like something with my TV. Mm-hmm. The second time I watched it by myself. I realized no, this this is dark. It's like, and and again, I had the lights off, you know, the shades down, and you know, just enough that I'm like, no, this is this is something with the film or like whatever choice was made wasn't the best. But you know, the third time was a charm because then I had to fix it in such a way <laughs> that you could basically almost see everything. It was still dark. Don't get me wrong, and I have nothing. You know, I have no problem with a dark movie, but it reminds me of this old, um, I think it's um, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s film called, funny enough, The Dark. Sure. And and I've seen like prints of this film where you will not see what's going on for five to ten minutes straight. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, I don't know where the monster is, who's running away, yeah. who's screaming. And it's like literally, oh, this movie is literally The Dark, like. And it wasn't until a Blu-ray came out like a year or so ago that, oh, I can see most of the movie now. It's still a bad movie, but you know, in that case, that's a bad movie. You know, even Toby Hooper was supposed to do it, and he actually left in disgust. But 
I just don't understand. Like, like sometimes you, as 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 filmmakers, and like you said, we don't know if it's Bruckner or Hulu's execs, or it's just something with the loss in translation where something happened. I we you know don't know, and I know what you mean about the later stuff with um, Game of Thrones where. Mike, is that a White Walker? Who is that? Like walking and battling, like yeah. And with with something like Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, it airs on Sunday night. So I'm guessing the the assumption is like, well, people are going to be watching this at night, right? So there's right. there's going to be you know a little a better bit better shot. conditions naturally. But like a, a lot of people can't, you know, they don't, especially in the in the in the the day and age of streaming, they're not watching right. it when it initially comes out. They're watching it whenever they have time to. I had time to watch Hellraiser. On an afternoon, when right. at, you know peak of the sun, um, with the the wall the light reflecting off of my white walls. Now I closed the curtains best I could, but, but you know even like a House of the Dragon, when we watch it on Sunday nights, we're turning off all the lights, not just like in the living room. We're t- we're turning off the kitchen light, like we're turning off like like we're, we're trying to make it as dark as possible. It's still like yeah, okay, I can I can Almost see did. someone is doing something, <laughs> but if I yeah. didn't have the subtitles on, I wouldn't know who's doing what right now and. And, you know, and so this is by by no means is this is this a problem exclusive to David Bruckner and Hellraiser, no. but it is just dark media, man, in general. Um, like yeah. it's it, and, and I, I realize once again, in an ideal world, we'd we'd all have our 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 home theater, you know, movies, uh, you know, movie theaters, basically, where we've, oh. we've got the, you know, the little reclining seats and the 4K projector and everything. like we nobody has that. We just have our TVs with the brightness turned up as much as we can trying to shut out any kind of outside light. And it's it just, it was, uh, it was frustrating because I, I know they were fleeing in the van, but I was like, I can't tell what she's seeing out the back. And I know. Eventually, well, yeah. yeah. And especially when it, the van is stretching, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the, you know, the box is opening again and they were part, I'm like, wait, is it actually supposed to be opening? Is it stretching? Um, <laughs> yeah. Where is she now? And then when Riley's looking back to see what's happening to Nora, only when you see like, the priest and and the other Cenobites say, okay, I see them plainly, but yeah, okay. So I'm glad I'm okay. So I'm glad it wasn't just like my TV. Uh, no, no, it was. It's just a problem. But again, I have not seen many people complain about that, which either tells me the people watching this either didn't want to admit to that or have these twenty dollars twenty thousand dollars setups that they don't want to admit to either. Or they have better eyesight than us. Who knows? We could maybe, maybe. Getting, we could be just getting old and are are more uh prone to complain about certain things, you know. Um true. That might be it too. We're just emotionally <laughs> old people. But um now that we are past that, why don't we talk a bit about the ending um which I thought yeah. was spectacular because of course yeah. they go through the entire lament configuration Roland Void gets his comeuppance, or at least we we think he gets his comeuppance. Right. Um, but ultimately, the we get to the the final configuration, and the Cenobites give Riley the choice of all those L words that we've given before. Basically, and we know that the temptation is she wants to choose life because she wants her brother back. And well, resurrection, she, actually, right? Wasn't it resurrection? Oh no, yes, you're, you're right. It was it was resurrection. Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus right? Yes, no, because right. Yeah, because we assume that is what she is going to choose because he is continuously like, whether literally or figuratively, like his death is haunting her throughout the entire movie. Right. So we assume 
she's going to choose Lazarus. She's going to choose resurrection. She's going to bring her brother back, especially because now the only close one that she has to her is Colin. Everyone else has died and Colin's in pretty rough shape near the end there. Oh, he's not only physically, but mentally he's like, he's, (laughs) he's a mess. He, he's not only he's lost his boyfriend that he loves. Mm -hmm. He's also been freaking strung up by chain. No, not even chains (laughs) by, um, like piano wire. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, Oh, this poor dude, like he, he's either going to bleed out. If he doesn't survive, you know, if they get away or he's just going to get killed by the Cenobites. And you're like, please, like, hopefully one of these people survive with Riley. But but I love that. Yeah, you're right. You know, and what she ultimately chooses is nothing. Yeah, she chooses instead to. For Matt to remain dead, for her to continue going through life, living with the pain of knowing where he is and what role she had to play in it. Yeah. And that is heartbreaking, but it's also so natural to her, her arc and her story because she recognizes, especially everything she's seen once again, even as a drug user, this idea of what comes in conjunction with the pleasure is the intense pain. Yes. Recognizing bringing Matt back in whatever form, because we've seen how Roland came back. We see how the Cenobites came back, recognizing that pleasure of having her brother return is probably going to be overshadowed by the intense pain of whatever it is he has become, maybe what she even has to become. And she chooses instead to live with the emotion of knowing what she did and knowing that she's not going to come back, which like at first I was like, wait, that's fucking stupid until I'm like, no, that's actually right. That is the, the best of bad options available to her. Yeah. And it's almost like even, even the priest is just like, you, you want to choose life like almost insulted that you went through all this and you still want nothing there's i can't there's, trick you he's like i can't trick you yeah there's there's How almost, dare you there's almost she almost it seems like the priest is almost kind of like scaring her into making a choice like you are going to be living with this pain for the rest of your days and she's like yeah I and will. And, and it, it shows her growth as like accepting responsibility for what she's done because early on, you know, she's always kind she's always trying to deflect and just kind of like make excuses for her behavior for, you know, it's not so bad. And this one, she's like, no, I know it's bad and I'm choosing to live with it anyway. And yeah. it just kind of goes to show like it is the happiest of endings we can expect in a movie such as Hellraiser. Um, yeah. And, and speaks to the emotional maturity of this idea of like when you're dealing with how pain and pleasure are interconnected, this is, this is like I said, the best of a, of a bad option. And, and it's, it's, it's the kind of maturity that we don't often see. Well, I, I'd say we see it more in, in horror, in contemporary horror films. Yes. Yeah. It's certainly not something that we, that we were, were prone to accepting in the, the run of the original Hellraiser franchise. No, the later later ones, you 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 aren't getting a clever little like you know, oh wow, that's actually really, really something there. Like you know, that's a, a really well thought out you know ending for a film like this. And not only that, you know, of course we you know we as Hellraiser, you know, fans and like you know watching the films, we know at least from those films that people can return. Mm-hmm. But again, they're without flesh, and and we have that little nod when she initially sees Matt and she hugs him and then feels yeah. and it's all and he's skinless, mm-hmm. and it's like you go, oh okay, but the whole time, is that Matt or is that just a, a trick played by 
the priest. And again, I think it's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a trick. It's more like, no, he, he, he will never come back. Cause again, you gotta think Lazarus, what is that for? Like that one, like, like, is it to bring someone back? And like you said, are they going to be, do they want to come back? Cause like, yeah. they're probably so destroyed. They're going to come back like a, like, like just a lump of like, like rotting flesh. And would you want to come back like that? Not really. Like, no. <laughs> you know what? It sucks to be tortured for all eternity, but at the same time, and again, who knows what, you know, if, if they're going to make a sequel, which I hope they do, you know, yeah, of course, like, like anything, yeah. you know, and this, this story, whatever way you want to continue with there's ways I could see them continuing it. And especially with the little, little added ending mm-hmm. with Roland's new role, yeah. um, which was like, okay, you chose that you want power. Like what? What I love though, like little 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 joke, like when when the priest goes, we don't we don't take anything back, we don't take the gifts back, but we could do like an exchange, and I'm like, oh, it's retail, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, oh my god, it's retail, like that's what it is. That's that's hell. That is hell. I understand now, but I kind of love that. I was like, no, you can't bring, you can't, I can't, we can't take it back. There's no takes these backsies, but we can give you something better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. we, can, we can we can move your uh, around amongst the configurations, but we're not just going to get you back to where before the configuration yeah, began. Yeah, there's, there's no fun in that. And and again, when we see the priest looking at him, going, "You know what? I didn't see it before, but the determination you have for the last six years, even though you're groveling at my feet right now, you still showed some weird determination for the last six years. You lived with this, whatever way you lived with it." Hmm. I think you could be one of us. And I kind of like that too, where I don't care if you're an evil piece of shit. Actually, that's better. Hmm. We want that. We want that in our forces of evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. again, when we see him being transformed and, you know, okay, like who knows what he's going to be, you know, but again, it looks like it's just like a random, like a randomizer, you know, like, let's see how we're going to rip you apart. Okay. We're going to rip your flesh this way. We're gonna add some pins or you know to your throat. Yeah, his his, his the skin oh. on his cheeks are yeah. kind of pulled back, so he has this like eternal yeah. Joker smile looking thing. Yeah. Um, so and again, and and that's almost feels to me this almost that almost feels like a nod to the second film because when um, Doctor Chenard chooses that, like, well, he it's almost given to him, but when he becomes a Cenobite, it's kind of like like a weird way of like, oh, this this guy who's rich and could get anything he ever wanted ultimately wanted power and he, he he gets it and then we'll see what happens like will he just be a a regular centibite or will he want to take over because that's kind of like what roland's whole thing is yeah and i that's what i'm assuming because especially how these two arcs are juxtaposed so riley yeah. who anyone who has struggled with addiction knows someone who struggles with addiction knows that the the addiction never goes away it's not as though at one point you're like you know what i don't have a craving i don't have an impulse it's just a matter of controlling it or learning to live with it and that is what she chooses to do she learns and she knows there's there's always going to be a level of pain here and i just said i'm going to accept that and live with it whereas roland's like no 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 no. i want the power he seems to be under the delusion that he can live with that he can get the pleasure somehow it's just the first time he made the wrong choice he has to make the right right one now and so he chooses leviathan he chooses power that turns him into a cenobite instead you think of like 
you know, Jafar at the end of Aladdin, he's like, I want to yes. be a genie. Like, well, you know, this right. is actually pretty terrible, right? Yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not great. Actually, it's, it's not so good. But you know what? We'll see what happens with that, you know? But I, I do think... I do think if there is a sequel, which again, I would also like to see yeah. one, I think Roland will try to subjugate all Cenobites under him because that is how yeah. he interprets Leviathan as power. Right. Um, and right. that could be interesting because it's basically like you, the later sequels in Hellraiser kind of got rid of this, but in the first two, it's certainly the Cenobites are just kind of not amoral necessarily, but they're not bad guys. They just, they have a role to play out and depending right, on who right. you are, like, like Pinhead even says in the first one, angels to some demons to others. Exactly. Um, but you don't want to make enemies of them. I, I wouldn't think. No, um, no. It's like, they're still powerful beings where you're like, Hmm. Yeah. You know what? Let me not play with that either. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and, but, Pretty sure Roland is going to try and make enemies of them, or at least not, he's not going to try, but that is what's going to happen, and that doesn't seem like, but also, God, what could be more torturous or painful than, like, what is already happening to him? Like, it would have to be something way beyond physicality, like, I guess just non-existence? I I don't even know. Like, this is like, I would not want to be him right now. No, no, but again, he's had everything in his normal life that... He, what 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 you know what depths will he go to to you know whatever he wants to feel or experience again mm-hmm. like i'm i it's actually you know even though like at the end like oh he's getting no he's gonna be the worst of them yeah. and that's actually kind of scary if if they go that that route with this you know where it's like yeah these these cenobites seem a little more especially this priest seems more not evil but a little more, a little more tricky. A little more tricky to um, place where mm-hmm. it's coming from. Because, like, like you said, Doug Bradley's version is like, you know, ninety eight percent amoral. Where we will not punish this person because, or, well, you opened the box, and yeah, you didn't necessarily understand what it was, but you kind of did, at least from what I know. But then, I'm not going to punish you because you're just a, a a girl that it likes puzzles and someone else kind of made you do this. This, this priest seems more like, no, I would torture that girl too. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, it's kind of dark, but at the same time, you know, the demons and, you know, like, again, like, you know, at the end of this review, um, I'd say I really enjoyed Jamie Clayton's, you know, depiction of the priest, you know, mm-hmm. pinhead, whatever you want to say, like, it's different enough, but still has that gravitas of like, okay, you know, this is a powerful being. Like, you don't want to fuck with this person, you know, this 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 deity or whatever you want to, you know, this demon, whatever you want to say. And, you know, the other thing I really liked about this film on top of everything else was the, the soundtrack, the, the score by Ben Lovett. <laughs> because he took little glimpses of the original score by Christopher Young and stuff, but gave it his own little spin. Cause like, you know, there's little, you know, if you're a fan, you hear the little twinges of, Oh, there's a, you're like, okay. (laughs) But then it comes, you know, and then, you know, the sound design of, of the Cenobites, especially when they're just, they just sound like they're in pain all the time. The, the breathing, 
the the yeah the, the one who was oh. like gasping was oh that, that when i when i hear that kind of breathing it emo- yeah. like it, it physically affects me where i yeah. feel like okay i need to focus on my breathing now because like i find myself kind of holding my breath yes um, it's it's real and again you would assume these beings even though they've chosen this and they probably enjoyed in their own twisted mindscape they're all, they're always in pain they have to be always in pain because that's what the whole thing about become you know sound about is your your flesh is torn you have nails you know stuff is ripped your skull is out you, you know br- you know your lungs are like impl- whatever the hell was that like and it really was creeping me out like and and again not a lot creeps me out but that kind of stuff like you said i felt it in my own chest like oh man like 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 i gotta like breathe a little like i had to, actually i i started taking deep breaths because i'm yeah, like yeah. okay me, i can breathe it's not me i'm not gonna make that sound let me go to the window <laughs> open it up take a really big deep breath and I'm like oh okay i can i can do this like oh. yeah no it, it when you have that kind of visceral unwilling visceral reaction to something you know it's it's very effective and yeah. um but james what if what if in the sequel mm. yeah, yeah. The <laughs> ultimate torture for roland is he mm comes back as a retail employee and that's what it is <laughs> i mean that would be a hell on earth you know like i mean <laughs> one even though i work overnights and luckily i don't deal with the extent of the retail hell i still would not wish that on it maybe roland though roland kind of deserves yeah that, what what if you know? what if um it's a holiday release and it's hellraiser black friday and so he's just like an employee at a, a big box store on black friday basically and that's and he just lives that every day is black friday for roland now you know i kind of now i, I kind of want like like a like a comedic movie with the Cenobites, but like working at like a best buy big box best buy store <laughs> and like just like dealing with customers and going like oh these are the these this is the reason why we chose this life and not living <laughs> I can, on earth anymore <laughs> I, I can i can take my chest being splayed open i cannot take Ugh. This person who wants to return uh, this item without a receipt, yeah, without a receipt, that's like you could tell is eighteen years old. But yeah, that Perfect. would be that would be that, that would be hellacious. But um, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't have much else to say uh, no, with Hellraiser. Well, well, this actually, was the, the one thing is, would you say this story is Lovecraftian? I I, th- I th- would think so because of that. Yeah. Like I said, that idea Same. of listen once once the. Once she played with that puzzle box, it just yeah. it it started. It, it was it's the inescapable fate kind of a thing, and um, and ultimately she leaves the box there. Someone else is going to open this box. Yeah, th- this story will continue as long right. as this box exists. This this is going to perpetuate. Um, yeah. Now it, it's interesting, um, you know that if if Riley were the the quintessential Lovecraftian protagonist, did she mm-hmm. choose to either kill herself or go insane? I think that. Uh, yeah. This this journey kind of led her to a certain insanity that she is just going to have to live with. Um, yeah, she's she's like again instead of insanity, she's going to live with just this horrible pain, which you would think the Cenobites would like actually in their own hmm. their own twisted way. It's like okay, you're dealing with pain in a different way. Yeah. You're going to live with it, and it's like it's still again it's still that twisted sense of humor where it's like you're you're still mess you're still fucked, but you're not as fucked as you could be. Yeah, it's um, yeah, like I said, it, it's it's not a happy ending, but it's not a terrible ending. Like it is, it's a heartbreaking ending. Yes, um, because that is 
based on everything that has happened to her in her life and the choices that she made with the puzzle box, it's the best that she can expect. Um, and, and it's kind of a, and this is where I would have loved to have, you know, Jerry's uh, input here, but like, it just kind of seems yeah. like what she can only hope for is I can manage this. I can live with it, but I, it's never going to go away. Um, right. And that is, that is real and that is heartbreaking and it is tragic. And this is a, yeah, this was, I know this sounds like a low bar. This is, I would say, the best since the original by far, which for me doesn't sound like it's much because I I hate this franchise. I know there are people that, you know, kind of love it. And even the third one, they're kind of like, no, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I am not one of those people. So it, it may seem like low praise, but I, I'm saying it's really very good. This is a very good movie. Yeah, I mean, um, and I'm on the other side where I can see the good in most of the sequels like like not saying each one is great no of course not but there's elements in a lot of the films that oh man if only they extended that or like just focused on that or whatever no but other than that like this is like a fully formed hellraiser film yeah no absolutely and, and and that's why it works and like you said yeah by far you know to me the first two is like almost like one film and this is like it's just a great new chapter of that, of this story that's continuous and will never end. Yeah. And hopefully it'll, we'll get some better sequels from, from this well, franchise. I, I'm curious. Cause even if we don't, it's not the last Hellraiser stuff we're getting. Yes. There is the HBO series, uh, which David Gordon Green is producing, which yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to how that will tie in or differentiate itself. I don't know. Right. Um, right. And yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, that, that, uh, that wraps it up yeah. for, uh, our, our episode on the 2022 Hellraiser. Um, you of course can find all of our back episodes anywhere where you find your podcasts, or you can go to castofcthulhu.podbean.com, email us comments, questions, or concerns at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at cast Cthulhu. I am on at Nolan fixes teeth and James is Wonka kills kids. And, um, as we have said, just to reiterate, this is our last episode for the year. Um, yeah. Our Halloween episode will be our last one. My, uh, my baby is due less than two weeks from today. So um, from what I understand, I'm going to have my hands full for a little bit. Uh, so we are, we are taking a, a, let's say, sabbatical through November and December with plans to return um, in the new year. No idea what that will look like right now got a few other things on my plate but this is the last episode of the year so we wanted to kind of do something fun for halloween and also of course bring back gwen from the hp lovecraft film festival once again thank you to jerry if you're listening for stepping in there it was a wonderful episode and i hope that the festival um was exciting as well i know that our uh, you know friend of the show thomas campbell and, and gav chucky Steele had their second film um in the festival yeah. this year um so kudos to them uh they need some some goodness seeing as how much of a shit show the uk is right now um that's its own kind of darkness but yes um thank you for listening happy halloween to you folks james do you have any um any halloween plans um no i mean i'm off from work and then you know this is the last weekend i'm off for a while because now we're getting seven trucks a week so Woo. i'm gonna be enjoying um lots of lots of candy and just lots of movie watching with corinne that's it nothing crazy Sounds good. Um, yeah, I don't know you. what I what I I don't know yet. My I don't have my work schedule yet. I, I may very well be working on Halloween, um, but if I'm not, I'm sure we're going to probably try and squeeze in 
Halloween Kills. It's streaming on Peacock. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that's where we'll be taking it in. Um, but yeah, nothing really big planned. Just uh, trying to to revel in the holiday uh, season as much as I can. But um, you know, just kind of preparing for preparing for birth. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how yep. that goes. But um, yeah, listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening this month. Thank you for your patience with what seemed a myriad of, de- uh, of delays in uh, the recent weeks. We certainly appreciate your patience. I guess I should also say, um, you know, happy holidays to you all. We won't really be, you won't really be hearing from us until 2023. So um, we hope that your holidays are, are happy and, and safe and filled with some uh, yeah. um, wonderful memories. But um, yeah, be sure to tune in next time. We're, well, I don't know what we'll be doing. So um you know? yeah, I mean, I mean, if if you want to hear more of like of me for the time being, um, I was recently on Disenfranchised podcast again. Yeah, that's right. I, we did I Am Legend. Yes, that's right. Had a, it was a good conversation. Um, and actually, somehow, I didn't I didn't think I was gonna like the film like more. I didn't like it the first time. I, I mean, I liked elements to it, but sure. Somehow, I liked it a little bit more this time. And you know, ten years, whatever later, and they were kind of weird going through a film that is about a worldwide uh, pandemic and right <laughs> and like in, in in 2022 eyes the film hits a lot harder facebook twitter i'm sure we'll be announcing at some point in the in the somewhat nearest future what we'll be doing but i assure you we will be coming back in um 2023 though um let's see how how you know how life um mixes things up a little bit but yeah thanks again for listening to this episode thanks for listening with this month Um, Happy Halloween, everybody, and we'll see you next year.